Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hard sport is a creative act. Too often, we see something we understand how to fix. We fix it. But actually, that's not the problem. Definitely a bias towards prediction, mm. control. That's becoming a barrier to creativity. I came from the World of Rugby Union into swimming. People would say to me, where do you get your credibility in a sport you know nothing about? Hello and welcome to the Creative Tech Podcast, where we discuss how technology can help you to be more creative. This podcast is made by the National Centre for Creativity, enabled by AI, which is a bit of a mouthful, so we call it CBAE for short. It's presented by the director of CBAE, Professor Neil Maiden. Neil, who's in the studio today? Today I'm delighted to introduce not one but two guests, so I call that a panel, to explore the role of creativity in sports and sports coaching. Chris McLeod is the lead strength and conditioning coach at the UK's Lawn Tennis Association, where he is responsible for keeping Britain's top tennis talent ready for action. And he was once a student here at City University of London on our Masters in Innovation, Creativity and Leadership. So it's great to be talking again with Chris. And he'll be talking with Nigel Redman, a former professional rugby union player who played as a lock for both the Bath and England national teams. Since retiring from professional rugby, Nigel has coached Basingstoke Rugby Football Club, Worcester Warriors and the England Under-19 and Under-20 Rugby Union teams. He was appointed by British Swimming as their elite coach development manager for the Rio Olympics. Chris and Nigel, welcome to our podcast. Where are you both joining us from today? I'm joining you from just outside of Bath. Had a weekend in Rome over the weekend and just returned back to Bath late last night. Very nice. What about you, Nigel? Well, I live in Bath, so ah. yeah, I join you from the south slopes of Bath. Very nice. Slopes. So let's get cracking. This is a creativity podcast, so I want to talk more about the role of deliberate creative thinking in sports. So much of coaching focuses on the athlete's strength, performance and skills. So what place is there for creativity and creative thinking in sports? Um, Chris, maybe you first. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because my view is that at its heart, sport is a creative act. 
whether that's at the elite end, you're usually trying to tr- train people to produce something new in moments that really matter, which I think is fascinating. Usually in front of, front of large crowds, high pressure, and you're hoping that they do something they never have bef- before. And then the grassroots end, I watch my boys play f- 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 football, and you get those same moments where they do something they've never done before. And they, there's these moments of surprise. So I think at its heart, um, sport is about creative acts, which means that deliberate creative thinking is um, key. I think that can play out in lots of different ways. How you manage a group and how you structure a group creatively to get those moments of surprise, the kind of questions mm-hmm. that a coach might ask an athlete. Um, and something as the day in, day out of planning sessions is at the heart of what a coach does. And all of that, I would say, is deliberate creative thinking pretty clear answer and building on your previous education at city with those definitions nigel how does i just chris's response sit with you it it sits fine actually neil but what i would like because i don't have the background that chris has got with you but i'd like to know what do you mean by deliberate creative thinking I would call it something that is structured and deliberately intended to generate something that's new and valuable and surprising, just building on some of the adjectives that Chris used just now. It's not accidental. You're, you're purposely encouraging people to do things in new and valuable ways. Does that help? And so what, what I find interesting with your definition is the word structure it appears in it. Because many people who think of creativity may not think that structure is part of being creative. I would agree entirely. And I think that's one of the misnomers that people have about creative thinking. In some sense, it's a, a particular form of problem solving. And we use lots of structure in problem solving. And, and that's where I would start with from a problem solving and really understanding what the problem is before we start. Because I think too often in sport, we see something that we think we understand how to fix. We show our credibility as coaches and fix it, but actually that's not the problem. And also being mindful of what might the future problems look like and how do we stay ahead of the curve. I think from a creativity perspective, that's really important. Understanding why you're doing it in the first place. It's really interesting actually because many coaches, they will have their way and therefore they're not interested in change or creativity. Mm-hmm. So you think a lot of the time people are not solving the right problems in the first place and we should be more creative in our exploration of the, the underlying problems and challenges? Well, it's interesting because one of the areas that I'm looking at the, at the moment is the ability to accept you've got a problem in the first place. So what's the role of acceptance before we adapt, before we then move on? Coaches as players can be incredibly stubborn. And also many people talk about knowledge being power I think knowledge can be the biggest restrictor within our ability because I think if we're happy in our knowledge and where we like what we know and we don't want to be challenged on it, there is no place for creativity. And, and therefore, if we can work in a team or a world where we are happy to accept that we're not perfect and that, that we, can, we can develop, we can move on and, and do that in a creative way, I think that would be a terrific environment to work in. Ignorance is valuable in some contexts. Chris, how does that sit with you? I would completely agree, and especially in the world of sports science. You can use knowledge and references and all of that as a blocker. And I think the opportunity to really see the complexity of the problem as it actually is, rather than jump into, I've seen this before, it's simple, I need to follow steps one, two, three. So 
any opportunity to break that, I think, is huge. And the, the best coaches I've worked with that have mentored me and challenged me, every time you go down that route of, I've seen this before, I've seen the research, I know what I think is going to happen, they'll ask you a question that just blindsides you. And suddenly the problem looks really different. Mm. There's two coaches that have shaped me that looking back, that's all um, they did, but that's what they did repeatedly. Mm. Every time you thought you grabbed a hold of something, they'd ask you a question that shifted your perspective so much that you had to start coaching. Mm. I understand that also from science, people just say very simple things, but you go, Greggy, that's that's insightful. One implication of what you're saying is maybe sometimes the less experienced coaches could be more creative because they they have less knowledge and experience to draw on is that a fair conclusion or am i over extrapolating from what both of you have suggested i think with a less experienced coach one of the barriers to overcome is is the barrier of credibility and how do they gain their credibility Hmm. many coaches if they finish playing a sport will come into coaching with a degree of credibility as a a player or as an athlete Hmm. and not as a coach and the temptation then to coach in the way and the manner that they were coached is, is very strong. You know, wouldn't it be great if we had an athlete who came into coaching and started to think about the sport and all of the things that they struggle with? And wouldn't it be great if we didn't have new athletes who struggle? What would we do differently rather than pick up and, and coach in a traditional way which they were used to? And again, what's stopping them doing that? Chris, what's your view? And also I want to throw in the whole angle of whether we think creative coaching should be more individual or collaborative are we are we more likely to succeed if we work in teams to to unpick coaching challenges Chris what's your thought in terms of the individual versus teams whether it's a literal definition of a team I would probably take it away from that as any coach or any individual has a team of people around them that has diverse thinking and is willing to be challenged and my gut is when we define team like that around a coach or around a person teams would be the way and to go just because it opens your perspective on different opportunities and I've not seen many coaches at the elite end that haven't got a diverse group of mentors or others. That's interesting because one of the things that again is I think commonplace in sport is we use people for their area of expertise but then we don't necessarily want to listen to them outside of their area of expertise. (laughs) <laughs> and so if they always stay within their expertise, where's the creativity? And this came to me when I was doing an, an exercise with a group of sports scientists. And in the debrief afterwards, the type of language I was hearing was, yeah, I, I know what you're saying, Nige, but Chris is really good in the gym. Or, yeah, 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 I saw that too, but Neil's a really good nutritionist. And th- then I started thinking, we use the terms working in silos a lot. And actually, we can be the masters of that because... We bring the experts in the room. We only really want to hear about their area of expertise. Whereas if we actually brought people in that we trusted and were happy to discuss outside of their, they were comfortable with that. You know, that sense of vulnerability contributing Mm. to something which they didn't know the answer to, but actually the answer was out there somewhere. I'm thinking, Mm. how could that be achieved? You know, I noticed this when I worked in Olympic sport. We had feedback saying, oh, we're really good at collaboration. It was on the back of a really successful world championship. And when the facilitator came to me and they said, where do you go next? You know, you're now really good at collaborating. And I said, I think we can be really better at collaborating. We can be really better at working together. 
And then I said, what would happen if you put collaboration in the middle of a continuum with working in isolation at one end? What's at the other end? You know, and if that is bringing people together in a vulnerable state with a problem, but they don't know the answer, they work together, if you like, offering different perspectives. Like Chris said, that diversity of thinking and the suspension of judgment. But, mm. but to many people, that might be pointless. Now, I would find mm. that really stimulating, and I'm not sure how long we could spend there before we come back into our, our own areas of expertise. But the ability to shift and be uncomfortable, I think, is really important. It's often talked about in the creativity literature as establishing the right climate where you can say things that might be seen to be stupid or naive or to challenge the orthodoxy. It's, it's essential. Chris, how do you feel about more creative climates in sports coaching? Well, I hear coaches, athletes or teams talk around the kind of environments that they liked being in and they performed well in. I, th- I think it sits really well with the literature on what a good climate for create creativity is so I, th- so I think it happens and it happens often especially in successful team and it's a huger role of the coach and the leader and even just linking to what Nigel talked about earlier the leaders and coaches that say I don't know and I'm not sure really opens that space for those creative climates and creative teams because it allows people to speak without being sure that it's the right right answer so you see it quite a lot there's some things in elite sport that help and some things in elite sport that Hmm. Are there good success stories that we could point readers to of where coaching teams have established effective climates for this kind of thinking? Yeah, I'll I'll answer that. I was very fortunate to work with British Swimming going into the Rio Olympics and the Tokyo Olympics under the leadership of Chris Spice and Bill Furness. I think they had quite a big jump in their creativity. They brought in practitioners who brought a different mindset from outside the world of swimming. And the key thing here, though, for creativity to really get traction is it's creating a movement that people from in the sport see the benefits of it. And I think swimming have done that. Now, not everybody jumps on board with it. There are people who say that just isn't swimming. That's not swimming the way I see it. And that you will hear that in a lot of sports. But I think Mm. what's enabled swimming in Britain to, to move forward is that there have been people who've embraced people from outside the sport who have come in and challenged the current way they do things and Mm. people have bought into it and decided to shift. I don't think you'll get the shift unless you get key people within the sport actually say, oh, this is a good idea. And Bill Furness is one of those people and he then created a following of people who said, we need to spend some time on this. And I think they've then seen the benefits of it. Mm -hmm. So how far outside of the field of swimming were these people coming? I mean, you came in from rugby. Were people coming in from outside sports entirely or is it mainly from other sports? Well, Chris Spice has got a multi-sport background. He was one of the coaches of the Australian women's hockey team that won Mm -hmm. gold medals. He worked with British hockey, worked with England rugby. He was the performance Mm -hmm. director of England rugby when they won the World Cup in 2003. So he's come from a multi-sport background, an incredibly bright person. I came from the world of rugby union into swimming. And you know, people would say to me, where do you get your credibility in a sport you know nothing about? And I'd say, well, I don't talk about swimming. And they said, well, how does that work? I say, I know nothing. So tell me what you know. And eventually we'll find a topic like, oh, that sounds like communication. or that. And then we say, well, I know a bit about that. So let's have a conversation about that. Mm. It was very much a 
seek to understand and understand from their perspective, not mm. try to change it overnight. Yeah, so everyone's has their area of knowledge and expertise, those boundaries are respected, but not acting as, as barriers for conversation. It's about sort of then respecting middle ground and being open to other people's definitions and approaches seems to be the key here. Yeah, they did a collaborative piece of work around race times in Tokyo and the mm. fact that people race better in the evenings and the finals mm. are in the mornings. So it was how do you change the language, the physiology mm. and the mindset around swimming your fastest time in the morning. Mm. And those guys led a big piece of work with the coaches, not driven by the coaches. But the problem was, mm. how do we change the mindset of morning swims and afternoon swims when the finals mm. were in the mornings? And can I just build on that briefly? Absolutely. I guess Absolutely. examples. Because I think what Nigel just talked through there is what I've seen brilliant coaches and leaders do is they change the nature of the question or the problem. And at the other extreme, you have a job role. So I'm a strength and conditioning coach. And you feel like the problem you've got to solve is always related to strength and conditioning. I guess two examples I've got from two coaches of influence me, even something like, instead of giving you the problem to solve related to your role, they used to tell you what they saw. So you'd stand next to them on the side of a court or a pool and they'd say, what I'm seeing is this. What it needs to look like is this. They've elevated the level of question to something that you can't just solve by yourself in a strength and conditioning way. There's a degree of unknown associated with it because it's just what they see. And two, you're constantly going back to them for feedback and, and iterating and learning as, as you go. And because they asked that question to every person in the support team, you all started to almost scurry around in, in the background trying to piece together pieces. You try something. You'd go and stand there and get and go, does it look any different? And they go, no, looks worse. They have this skill of changing the nature of the problem or the question you're trying to answer and elevating it to a level where there's a degree of uncertainty mm. they inspire you with the question but you have to go outside of your job role mm. to be able to solve okay. it and it's not always nice it can feel really uncomfortable mm -hmm. so what i'm hearing from you guys is that if we are to be more effective in introducing new ways of creative thinking, establishing creative climates, it's going to be more for the coaches rather than the athletes. It's the coaches that are going to be driving this creative thinking. Or maybe I'm being oversimplistic. Can this work be done by athletes themselves as well? The short answer that I want to jump to is, oh, well, it's both. Okay. But I think that's too short an answer. Fair enough. Uh, I think... I think that the risk of going coach versus athlete is it can feed in, into the myth of certain people are creative or create creativity mm -hmm. and others don't. Whereas if I start from the position, well, everyone is and the environment either suppresses it or enhances it. I think the creativity comes in the interaction between the coach and the athlete. Mm -hmm. When I see it work really well, it's when, when something doesn't work and there's failure or something happens in a session that surprises them. And what happens next between the team and the coach or the coach and the player, I think, tells you a lot. And the interaction between the two, when they then start to explore either failure or surprise and build on that, is where the work needs to happen. So the short answer is both. But the long answer is it's in the connection between people and teams. That's fascinating, Chris. That sounds very much like the comment from Margaret Heffernan, who was in our first series of podcasts where she talked about people exploring the edges, working at the edges and discovering ideas at the edges. 
of their areas of expertise. Uh, Nigel, how does how does Chris's view that it's between the athletes and the coaches sit with you? Is that where creativity is happening? I think that it can work both ways. I was very fortunate when I was an athlete. I was coached by a person who asked a lot of questions. He would stop a session and say, I've got an idea. And players would say, well, that's not going to work. And then the coach would say, well, what would you do to make it work? And then we'd actually work through it. But also sometimes the athletes were the ones who say, right, we've got a problem here. Oh, how are we going to break this down? The athletes who can work things out in the moment, I think those are the ones who, who embrace the, sometimes the creativity, where they think mm. that I've got a problem here and I can't wait until afterwards because I'm going to lose the moment. You know, is there something mm. that I, I can do within my skill set that pushes the boundary that, and I think that that's important as well, and then reflect on it afterwards. Sometimes our creativity when I played came from the athletes would do something and then the coach would say, well, can we practice it? It's like we just did it, but it worked so well. I'll give you an example. In the final of the European Cup, Bath were playing Brief, 1998. It was in France, and we had this particular scrum move, which actually we didn't execute right. And because we didn't execute it right, it meant that John Callard scored under the posts. We practiced that so many times after that event and couldn't get the same response. Do you know what I mean? But it was people just reacting. And because of the way we trained, we trained to be able to react to the people in front of us and around us Mm, rather mm. than to a structure. It won us a a European Cup. Which is really interesting, Nigel. You saying that, going back to my comment of what the coaches do when things emerge and surprise you. I've never realised it before. The coach that I'm referring quite a lot to, when things like that happened, she'd asked the group, what did that feel like? She didn't necessarily say what's just happened. She say, what did that moment feel like? And she tried to raise awareness and capture that. Probably going back to the comment earlier, Neil, on a creative climate. Mm. So she raised the awareness of less around what technically occurred, but what did that feel like for you as a group mm. when something emerged that worked? And then she built on that rather than the specifics of the drill or the specifics of the exercise, mm. which I've never thought about before until you told that story, Nigel. So it's like reflections about the creative experience without trying to unpick it. It's more about the, sort of the broader understanding of it and then channeling that into something that could be... Neil, it's also the acceptance that we create an environment where things like that happen. Hmm. So for for that particular thing, the right people were in the right area. It's just that they didn't do the things that we practiced, but they just responded to it and something Hmm. better came from it. What I'm hearing here is that it's almost as if we're seeking different styles of creativity, different forms of creativity in the coaching and in the players. And then it's, it's how we... We combine these in, in interesting ways. So there's almost sort of two layers of creativity, the, the creativity in the coaching and the players, and then creativity that emerges when we put all this together within a climate. Is that an over-contrite summary of what we possibly said in the last half hour? I think people need to understand metaphorically where they're standing. It's creative. Who chooses to be creative? And they say, well, I do. And, and is creativity the only thing you do? And they say, yes. And my response is, well, that's pretty directive. Because if that's the only thing you do, then actually that may not be right for every athlete that you're working with. Mm. So it's that ability to move and understand where you are, fall in love with the problem before you come up with a solution. Exactly. And saying, actually, it's okay, it's cool, because this is a creative space. It's mm. a safe space. When we yeah, get onto the field, or... you know, we train like this so that we can respond when it matters. Mm. 
And a lot of people find that difficult, Neil. So we're all in agreement, unsurprisingly, given it's a creativity podcast, that creativity is beneficial in sports, in coaching and in playing. What are the barriers? What's stopping it being more talked about? Because I know from literature reviews, there's very little coverage of creativity as a phenomenon in sports coaching. So what are the main barriers that we, you think we have to overcome? Based off my experience, there's probably a few. The first one is like Nigel mentioned earlier, tradition of sports coaches and ways of working the more interesting ones is the potential bias over the last few few years towards predictability objectivity in data and less of a bias towards gut intuition and feeling and when things emerge you can't often predict them but if you listen and read a lot that's written in elite sports at the moment there's definitely a bias towards prediction Mm. control rationality and I think that's becoming a barrier to creativity and especially with the rise of sports science I read about like the great scientists it's this fascinating mix between pure gut imagination and then experimental data Mm -hmm. And, and I think at times in sport sports science is more biased towards experimental data which negatively affects that connection between coach support team and players well the imagination is very much part of the scientific process um nigel how does chris's comment sit with you i think the impact of a poor result may deter some people because they may think Mm. that if things don't go well then we just need to be more pragmatic and do the things that we normally do even if they don't work people would rather do that bringing athletes with you is really important because if we start to be creative with a group of people who aren't used to that type of approach there is that feeling of chaos there is that when chris says how did that make you feel some athletes don't like that feeling of chaos they like certainty they like to know that they're working with somebody who will give them Mm. the answer which will help them to perform that whole area of exploration can be uncomfortable Mm. for them And so we can talk about it from a coaching and scientific perspective. But how do we create the environment? I had this conversation recently with a player who I coached as an an under-19, England under-19. I brought some, I thought, creativity into the environment. And we'd played really well for two games. We created so many opportunities. It was brilliant. And we'd lost the two games. And the captain came to me afterwards and said, Nigel, I've been chatting to the players and we understand what you're looking to do. We just want to win a game. (laughs) I suppose it's where the stakes are. How much time can you spend being creative, looking at different ways and and how patient are they? So when you talk about barriers, it's managing not just the people around you, it's the athletes, it's also the people above you and, and helping to maintain this, particularly if you're exploring new territories. Certainly in today's environment where so much sport seems to be more short-term in terms of investment, turnover of coaches and players. Are there any obvious quick wins that we can introduce into certain sports to enhance creativity of coaching and or players or the climate? Are there any obvious quick wins that you guys are, are able to point to at this point? I'd go to one linking on Nigel's theme of acceptance. I think a relatively quick win could just be the acceptance that coaching is a creative act. And whether you think you're creative or you're not, you are if you coach. So slightly changing the definition and to give people confidence in themselves would be the first one for me. 
And in going back to something I mentioned earlier, I think the use of mentors and the use of support to coach people through it, it's not a quick win, mm. but it is impactful and people feel a difference quickly. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes creativity gets locked on. What, well, what's the game going to look like? And let's change the way we do things. Well, actually, it might be just doing what you're currently doing differently rather than mm. thinking of new ways to do new things. It's been really interesting because... We will put, as coaches, constraints on sessions. Look at how athletes deal with the constraints. The last two years through this pandemic, what COVID has done for us is constraints-based coach and leadership development, where the environment has changed and our coaching Mm -hmm. and leadership has had to change. And so we've had to think creative to get through this. So why do we have to wait for a worldwide pandemic Mm -hmm. to show some creativity and to develop Mm -hmm. and get better? What can we do within our own environments that will do that on a regular basis? How do we fit that Mm. into our long-term planning? Because a lot's been learned during this time. That's fascinating. Certainly the use of constraints is is well recognized in in creativity. Maybe we should just introduce more constraints more often and see how the world of coaching reacts. But it's also, it's linked into people's identity. So Mm. you take a swimming pool away from a swim coach and it's like, well, what am I now? Because I'm not a swim coach because I don't have a swimming pool. So what mm. you do is you, you invite them to the Zoom sessions, the land-based sessions, or you get them to talk to Chris and say, Chris, when you're doing your, your land-based, how, do you, how can you make it more aligned to swimming? How do you coach a land-based swim session? Just because we've mm. taken the water away, it doesn't stop you from coaching. And, and how do we do that in the future? Mm. Fantastic. Thank you. So at Seabait, we build technologies to support creative problem solving with tools you can use every day. More ideas, more often form of creativity on demand, if you like. So we usually wrap up these podcasts by testing your creativity on demand by three short questions, which seek three short answers. And I'll propose Chris first and then Nigel each time, just alphabetical order. So the first question is, what is the single most important thing you need to be creative a deep trust in your personal potential to act in the moment when you're unsure what's going to happen next. Very clear. Nigel? It's actually two things, suspend judgment and stay curious. Perfect. Even shorter. I like that. Second question. If you could create any new tech or app that could do anything real or imaginary, what would it be? I've actually thought about this. It's quite a specific reflection tool. I think one of the challenges is how we interpret the past and we we make sense of it we make it logical we think we made decisions in a way that we didn't particularly did do so a reflection tool that captured emotions reactions the collective experience so actually when we look back we realize maybe the uncertainty we're acting in our real emotions instead of the retrospective story of logic that we often tell ourselves Fantastic. There's an idea that maybe we can look at in CBA. Nigel, over to you. Yeah, I would like a potentialometer that you can actually put on people at a young age, which clearly identifies their potential, technical, tactical, lifestyle perspective, so that we understand an accurate understanding of how we can help this person to achieve their full potential. 
That's a wonderful. I've never heard that term before. I'm TN it, I would if I were you. And if we could remove one I thing I made from it up world, this morning, Neil. Oh, no, it's a good one. The best, <laughs> the best ideas are just made up. Creativity is just making stuff up. I suspect they might edit that out of the podcast. Um, and if you could remove one thing from the world to make people more creative, what would that be? What would you put in the bin? People's general current understanding of time. I think it's way more complex than we know. But how we view it and its linear nature, I think, impedes creativity. And Nigel? The cynics. Let's get rid of cynics. Let's replace yes but to yes and. And then change everything for the better. It's been fantastic listening to you. I could have talked for much longer than the podcast allows. What is up for you guys next? What's happening? Well, my big project at the moment, Neil, is building a succession plan for coaching in the English game. So from the first team coach and what that looks like in the pathway. And so there's three areas that I'm working on. One is succession. One's how does that affect our pathway and our pathway teams, not the players, but the management teams. And then building a coaching index. So who's out there doing it and how do we help them both from an individual and collective way? Okay, and that's rugby union just to check yeah that's rugby union okay yeah thank you and chris and with me major thing now is supporting our pathway coaches strength edition coaches and teams and it's fascinating because we have a some national academies regional play development centers and everyone's unique everyone's different and any ways we can support and, and harness that is really interesting and if our listeners needed to find out any more about you and your work, is there an obvious place for them to go? No. No. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Instagram. Neither, so. do, neither am I. <laughs> All right. Well, con- I don't do contact- social media. Let's see. Contact us here at Seabay and I'm sure we can yes. pass on your, your questions. That's more Yeah, than of great. course. So, guys, thank you very much for taking time to talk today. It's been a, a real pleasure and hopefully you've got something out of it as well. Brilliant. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it's it. always good to talk with Chris and it's lovely to meet you. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to the Creative Tech Podcast from Seabay. Check the show notes for links and any other stuff we've talked about today. And please do take time to like the podcast and leave a review. It really does make a difference. You can follow us on Twitter at Seabay Center. That's C-E-B-A-I Center. Or on LinkedIn, creativity enabled by AI. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.